Wow. Thank you, Marcel. God bless America. Amen. Wow, it's good to be in the house of the Lord. And I just, my joy to be back. And I'm excited to be able to come and stand before you today. And folks, God is good and God does good. That's what the psalmist says. And that has never changed. And you need to remember that. And um, I want to share some thoughts with you today as um, about some of the things that's going on. I know that would be on your mind. It's been on my mind. And I was not had the opportunity to be with you last week. But I just wanted to share some things from, from I think, the Word of God's perspective, from my perspective. And um, I, I just want you to know that, that God says He has given each of us a hope and a future. And never forget that, dear folks. And if you have your Bibles, if you turn to Philippians, the second chapter, as a matter of fact, um, over the events of the last uh, couple of weeks, this verse just began to knock into my mind. And um, I just wanted to share that with you today and, um, and kind of give us a reminder and kind of give us a little history of things and how are we to deal with our culture as we are now. Today I want to speak to you on just the subject matter of being a light in a, in a dark world. As a matter of fact, that the Bible says is God sent his light into the world, but he was rejected because the darkness did not comprehend. But that did not keep our Lord Jesus from being who our Lord Jesus is. I want to, to read you some words that, that was probably written, was written right after probably the most powerful Christological passage in all of Scripture that, that Paul on the heels of who Christ is and what Christ has done for us, then challenge the Philippian people as well as you and me. How are we to live in the world that Christ has sent us? I'll remind you that although we understand that Christ is the light, that he reminded us that we are the reflectors of the light. And let's just take that moment and let's just think on that moment. And let's all stand together. Let's, let's read together verses 12 through 16 of Philippians, the second chapter. And, and I want to try to, to, to move on through this today and, 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 and some things for you to stop and to contemplate on. After Paul had, had written, and we'll go back and look at this, about who Christ is, and this is the type of mind and attitude we should have. But then he says in verse 12 these words, Wherefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you both to, to will and to do of his good pleasure. It's God who works in us, not only to, to want to do his good pleasure, but to do it. He says, and do all things without murmuring, without complaining, without grumbling. That's kind of hard to do sometimes, isn't it? I know most of us has a little bit of grumble, a little bit of complaining within us, but he says not to do it. Do all things without murmuring and disputings. And why? So that you might be blameless and harmless as sons of God without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. Hmm. Gosh, he almost could be writing to us, couldn't he? The other translation is in the midst of a, a, a wicked generation. And then he continued, he continued to write these words, among whom 
ye shine as lights in the world. Holding forth the word of life that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I may not have run in vain, neither labored in vain. Let's pray. But Father, I just, I just pray that you take these words, that God, that they'll be applied in our hearts and our minds. And God, I just, I just pray that, that, Lord, that I just pray that you do a work. Begin in me, Lord. Begin in me. And I just pray that our lives will be touched, God, through your word, through the circumstances of our moments. And God, I just pray that you would do a work that, God, in the days and the years to come, we're going to look back and say, wow. What a great God we serve. And I just pray that you'd bless our moment, bless this time. In the precious name of Jesus, I pray. Amen and amen. I felt so very led that I needed to be able to speak, and I needed to be able to share some things from, from my perspective. I think from the, from, the, from the child of God's perspective, under the circumstances of our current affairs. You know, do, during the recent developments of the decisions by the Supreme Court, as a matter of fact, it'd be very easy for the church and its Christians to throw our, our hands up and, and, you know, and go running off in the sunset, but God has not called us to do that. Absolutely, I disagree with the positions that were made. Absolutely. But folks, that does not rob me of my hope and my joy. And that's what I want to encourage you today. And I want us to stop and, and look at things. I, I think about what, what Justice Scalia uh, had written, and I just, I just felt I, I needed to, 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 to share this with you. If you've not read it yourself, I, I loved how he addressed the situation in his dissent when he says, but what really astounds in the, in the hubris, which is the pride reflected today in, 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 in today's judicial push, which means kind of a secret attempt to overthrow. Folks, ever since man came into the world, there's been a secret attempt by the adversary to overthrow God. So what I want you to remind you of, this is not something that has just started. It started in the garden. It started in the garden. So let us not be surprised, but, 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 but it has worked itself right up into to our highest land's offices. He says the five justices who compose today's majority are entirely comfortable concluding that every state violated the Constitution for all of the 135 years between the 14th Amendment's ratification and Massachusetts permitting of same-sex marriages in 2003. They have discovered, what he's saying, isn't it amazing after all of these years they begin to discover something that nobody else saw? He says they have, they have discovered in the 14th Amanda, a fundamental right overlooked by every person alive in the time of ratification and almost everyone else in the time since. These justices know that limiting marriage to one man and one woman is contrary to reason. He says it doesn't even make good sense. They know that an institution as old as the government itself and accepted by every nation in history until 15 years ago cannot possibly be supported by anything other than ignorance or bigotry. And they would be willing to say that any citizen who does not agree with that or who adheres to what was until 15 years ago, the unanimous judgment of all generations and all society stands against the Constitution. Well, if that's what they determined to be the Constitution, I stand against that. And I believe you stand against that. But I wanted to stop and I wanted to share with you this morning that, again, this is not a battle that's just, just happened 
a few days ago. This, this, is a, this is something that's been going on for since the garden. Because we, we, need, we need to ask ourselves a couple of questions. Well, what do we do? But I think before you ask the question, what do you do? You have to ask yourself and be honest, how did we get here to start off with? You know, what got us into this situation? And I just want to remind you of some, some historical ideas that, that to, to know that Christian traditional values have, have been under attack, again, we know since the garden, but, but especially over the last few hundred years. So it's been under attack in the philosophical arena, and you need to understand these things. In the philosophical arena, there was back in the 17th century, there was a, there was a time that was called the age of, um, of rationalism or what's called the Enlightenment, because that's when people began to be enlightened. And what that was was an attack against the supernatural. And, and what that was saying, that anything that, that cannot be reasoned within the mind cannot be true. And so there's no such thing as miracles. There's, there's no such thing that can just happen outside of that which we can understand. Attack against the supernatural. And, then, and right on the heels of that is what we know as Darwinism, the age of Darwinism, where, where, where there was the idea of evolution, that, that everything was created by, by a big cosmic accident. And what that was really an attack against, and, and folks, that is not science, that is theory, that is philosophy. Because what that really attacked, not only is there no supernatural as the age of rationalism, but Darwinism says there is no God. And so if there is no God, if there's no creator, therefore there is no purpose. We're all just accidents. Is evolution uh, damaging to, to, to Christian thought? You bet it is. Because the very, the very idea is to remove God out of the equation. And then there became, on the heels of that, what was called the age of, of, of relativism. Rel, uh, relativism, which says, you know what? There's no absolute truth. There's no such thing as absolute truth because I determine my own truth. The circumstances of the moment determines the truth. And so, so uh, Brother Joe determines his truth. I determine my truth. There's no such thing as absolute truth. I want you to hold on to these things because I'm going to bring them back in just a moment. Now we're into an age that's called postmodernism. And what that means is um, it, it, that's an idea of deconstruction. And, and what postmodernism is, is, is that everything that, that we've known, every, every authority, whether it be in the sciences, whether it be in the arts, or, or whether it be in the governments, whether it be in religions, is it's a time to deconstruct everything and build it the way we want to. What this means, and this is, this is what's so crazy, you have to understand these thoughts. And it really came to us when Wanda Su and me, when our daughter Carolee had an opportunity to, to go to Washington, D.C., and serve at the, um, to, to, to study English literature at the Folgers Institute and, and study at the, at the Library of Congress. But she went there, and it was, she was um, one of the very couple that were not of, of Ivy League status where she studied. And they were, because she, she, she was a literature major, studied Shakespeare and, and everything. But what amazed her and, and, and really didn't understand at that moment. In, in modernism, it says it does not matter about what the original author wrote. When Shakespeare wrote a play, it didn't matter what he was intending it to mean. 
What postmodernism says, we're, go- we're going to develop a meaning all of ourselves. Is that kind of crazy or not? I mean, why would an author write something if he didn't have a purpose of writing what he, what he tended to write? And if you understand it from a biblical standpoint, even though that, that maybe there was scripture that was written with a purpose in the past, it's what I think it to be today is true. Folks, that is the mindset in your educational world today. That is the answer in, in, in much of our culture today. I make my own truth. It matters not why what the Constitution meant when the founders wrote the Constitution, it what it means to me today. And that's why justices can make the decisions. It does not matter what, what Jefferson and the others um, wrote. It's what we take it to mean today. And so therefore, continue. it's the same way if you wrote a letter to someone and you put your thoughts into that letter. And when someone else read that letter, they did not matter. Sister, this is what you meant. This is what I intend your letter to mean. This. It, it, and so it makes no sense. But didn't God remind us that these types of things would happen? You see, cultural Christianity is also, or, or traditional Christianity has not only been fought for years and years in the, in the philosophical world, but also in the political world. It was many, many years ago when there was a clever person who took the letter that Thomas Jefferson wrote to a, to a, to a Baptist church who was concerned about under federalism, about, about how that would handle their, their religious rights. Thomas Jefferson wrote a letter back to this, this individual church and says, you do not have to worry about that because there's a wall of separation between the government and the church, and so forth. the government can never impede, impede upon the church. Well, there was some clever, clever deviousness that says, let's turn this thing around. And let's say the church cannot impede upon the government. There's a wall of separation, so the church can't impede upon the government. Completely took what Thomas Jefferson meant and, again, turned it upside down. And you know what? We sat back and let that happen. And so, therefore, there was a wall that was erected. So now that anything that, that has to do with the church, we cannot let it affect the government. And guess what happened in 1963? They took the Bible out of the public schools. Can you see the progression of, you know, of mindsets and then that things happened? And when they took the Bible out of the public, public schools within the government, it, was, it, it, it just continued on. And then, and then there, was, there was the road versus wage, you know, that life is not very valuable anymore. Folks, that was in 1973. I, I, was, I, was, a, I was a 10th grader in school, and, and boy, the argument sounded so convincing that, you know, there would be no more unwanted children. And, you know, that really wasn't a life. That was just a little glob there. And guess what? Americans bought it, hunk, lying, and center. And then on the heels of that was no fault divorce. Hmm. You know, that commitment's not in that, you know, matter of fact, let's make it in a way that 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 everybody can just walk away. Before we get our britches all tightened up, you know who brought that into being? Ronald Reagan. So, so you better be careful when you start throwing darts out there because there, there's some, some, some of the folks that, 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 that you may be close revered that without thinking, 
And there, therefore, marriage was not so important anymore. You know, we can just say goodbye and get out of here and nothing happens. All the government approval. It also has been under attack, not only Christian values, when philosophical area, political area, but just our cultural arena. That as, especially in the late 50s and early 60s, the, the, the breakdown against authority, the, the sexual revolution, free sex, doesn't matter whether it needs between a husband and a wife that, you know, does what feels good to you. You know, that, that even heterosexual freedom. It was one of the major problems that, that they hit America during that time was the birth control pill. Therefore, we could, we could have all the free sex we want without the fear of, of getting pregnant. You see, little things that sometimes are sold to be so good can have such an effect. Ronald Reagan thought no-fault divorce would be good because that would keep, really, keep people from being really, really, really broken up over divorce when you can just walk away but not realizing the lasting effects it's going to have. The idea that I can just, you know, I can protect myself against any unwanted pregnancy by some medication. The reason I say that is because, folks, so much of this is, is we as a church, we've bought into like, look, hook, line, and sinker. But what it does is it's, it's, it's just paved the way for the mindset. And then, and then you know, if we, if we had the pill that will stop unwanted pregnancies, what if the pregnancies happen? Then we'll just use abortion to stop those unwanted births. The, that, that just brought on the general deterioration of moral values because, folks, when you take the quality of life and the importance of life, even from a baby, then no life seems to matter anymore. The breakdown of the traditional family has absolutely been squashed. Our women livers out there that wanted that freedom, well, they didn't realize that that just gave fathers the permission to be AWOL. We don't need a man, and so the men said, okay, we'll leave here. Forty percent of children raised in America today are, are raised in single mother families. No dad. And we wonder where all the anger comes from. Forty percent of all births. In some sectors of our society, it goes up to 70%. I'm saying this to you because you, you have to realize that a decision that was made a week ago it was not something that just came up. It's something that's been building up for a long, long time. And so, as a matter of fact, it's just a natural progression. Sexual freedom, heterosexual freedom, than homosexual freedom. I mean, I mean, when when you, when you get it on, when 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 you get it on that pathway, folks, it just continues to spread. And you also you have to be careful to point at one group when another group is just as guilty. 
And that's where we as Christians have to ask ourselves, well, where do we go now? What do I do? And I think that's what Paul is speaking about because he was, he, matter of fact, Paul was in prison. Paul was in prison because of his Christian faith. He was in prison because he lived in a, a wicked and a perverse society. And he, and he dared to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. But he was writing his, his people and says, what are you to do within this world that we live in? And, and you know, the first thing that we need to do, and, and um, John spoke that from the very beginning, you need to remember one thing. You need to remember that God is still sovereign and he's on the throne. That has not changed anything. That, that he is still in the control he says, I am the Lord thy God, and there's no other beside me. God does not bow to, to, to a president. God does not bow to a, a supreme court. God does not bow to any human authority because God is God. And, when, and, 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 and folks, you have to hold on to that fact that so many times, and probably the, the one thing that fights the fleshy mind as much as anything is the idea of the sovereignty of God because I want to be able to do things myself. Well, there's one, there's, there comes a point in time when we, you realize God is all you have and you have to throw yourself on him. Folks, either he's sovereign or even he's not. Even God is control of everything or he's not in control of anything. But the God of the Bible, the God of the Scripture, is a sovereign God. He controls all things. And let me just speak to you about four, or five, or four points on that. First of all, Jesus is still alive. I love what Russell Moore said when he said, the Supreme Court can, can do many things, but the Supreme Court can't put Jesus back in the tomb. Jesus of Nazareth is still alive, and he's still calling the universe toward his kingdom. Folks, we still serve a risen Savior. Isn't that good? Man, no matter what man may say, Jesus is still alive and Jesus is still on the throne. And you can recognize that. He's the same yesterday, today, and he's going to be the same tomorrow, regardless of what the culture around us says or claims. You can hold on to Jesus. He's a friend that will stick closer to you than a brother, and also he will never leave you nor forsake you. And it may be during these times we need to introduce ourselves once again to the risen Savior. I, I encourage you to do that. Another thing that we can understand if God is, is sovereign, that God is still in control. Nothing occurs within this world that doesn't pass God's death first. You have to understand that. God ultimately gives the okay to everything that occurs. Pastor, even into a Supreme Court's decision, even into a Supreme Court's decision. You said, well, good God can't do that. Well, folks, God's thoughts are not your thoughts, and his ways are not your ways. As a matter of fact, Psalm 133, 319 says, the Lord has established his throne in heaven, and his kingdom rules over all. I love what the psalmist says in Psalm 37, 11 through 13, when he says, but the meek shall inherit the earth and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. The wicked plotteth against the just and gnashes his teeth upon him with his teeth, uh, uh, gnashes upon him with his teeth. But listen to this, the Lord shall laugh at him 
for he seeth that his day is coming. You know, when people want to wave all their flags and they want to, 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 to parade around all of their wickedness and, and think they've got something that God, God is just chuckling and saying, folks, you don't even have a clue. God's in control. And you have to believe that. You know what? God's word and his promises are still true. Paul writes in Romans 8, 28, and we know that all things, all things work together for good. For those that love him, for those that are called according to his purpose. Folks, either God's word's true or it's not true. Now, there may be some things that, we, that don't seem good, and they may not be good, but because God's a sovereign God, he has promised to those who love him for those who's called according to his purpose that all things work together for good. Regardless of what the decision the Supreme Court makes or regardless of, of what ISIS is doing, regardless of maybe what be occurring in your life right now that seems to be an absolute train wreck, God says all things work together for good for those who love him, for those who's called according to his purpose. You either have to hold on to that as truth or you need to walk away. Let me, let me give you another verse that just, 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 just grabs you. Ecclesiastes, the third chapter, verse 11, says this. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Well, God, how can this be beautiful? See, God can take that which is so broken and so messed up and he can make it beautiful once again. I think that's so cool, folks. That's the type of God we serve. Nothing can get so messed up that God can't make it beautiful in its time. You know what's enjoyable? I can't get so messed up. So that means you and me still got a chance. He can still make us beautiful in his, in his time. Praise God, you know. But, but, but he has made everything beautiful in its time. And then he says, he, he continues on with this. And folks, this is our hope for a, for a lost world. When, it, when he says, and he has put eternity within their hearts. Every person that even shakes their fist at God and shakes God, his fist at, at the principles of God, the Bible says God has placed eternity within his heart and nothing's going to satisfy him until he finds God. Let me tell you, for a whole group of people out there that, that thinks that, that I'm okay because the government says something, that piece of paper does not change their state one bit. Only the blood of Jesus will change a person's heart and bring a person's joy. The, the government cannot bring me joy. A piece of paper can't bring me joy. Only the risen Savior, because God has put eternity within my heart, and until I let God do the work and, and, and feel that within my heart, then I'll never find that joy. See, God's in control. Jesus is alive, and, and, and God's word is truth. Is, you know, that he's, he's, he, and, and, and he is coming again. Jesus is coming again to make all things right. I tell you, that's the hope of the believer that Jesus is coming again 
and one day he will rule in righteousness. So I just wanted to mention that, where that, that God is still in control. But, but let's look at some things that, that Paul said. He, that when, he, when he said these words in chapter 2, as he's speaking, he says, Wherefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God which worketh in you to do to will and to do is good pleasure. You know what he's telling his people? You need, to, you need to stop and you need to examine your own salvation. See, it's so very easy in times like this to point at other people and everything that they're doing wrong. It's so very easy to, to, to you know, to lambast your government officials and your Supreme Court and, you know, and all those people out there. What Paul was saying, you don't need to worry about those people. You need to be worrying about yourself. You need to stop and you need to look at yourself. You need to ask yourself, what did I bring into the situation? It's so easy to, to play the blame game instead of stopping and asking yourself, what role did I have in this whole situation? Did I need to work out my own salvation? What that means is that when Jesus Christ comes within me and he saves me and he comes to dwell within my heart, that I need to, to let the inside presence of Jesus Christ begin to come out of my life. That I need to become more like Jesus Christ. That I need to be taken off the old, the old rags of unrighteousness and begin to put on the clothing of righteousness. And folks, that's what Christ is speaking to you and me. That's what Paul is speaking to, to the people that, that, that the first thing that we must do is examine our own lives. He says, you need to walk in obedience. Paul says, you know, walk in obedience whether I'm here or not. Gosh, wouldn't that be a change if, if God's people just begin to do what God says to do? I mean, that would be a huge change. We need to, we need to walk in, and we need to work out that salvation and, and we, we need to seek God's will and pleasure. God, what would you have me to do? Folks, because revival begins in the house of God. I think we'd all admit that, boy, we need revival in America. But it's very easy to say those people need revival. No, revival starts right here. Lost people do what lost people do. And, and, and that's, that's why, as, as Marcel had quoted, where, where God says, for if my people, my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I would hear from heaven. I'd heal their land. So it starts with you and me. That we need to humble ourselves. We need to, we need to humbly lay our pride aside and say, God, what did I bring into this mess? And admit that God... It's not the world that needs prayer, it's me. Maybe I'm not where I need to be. Maybe I haven't worked out my own salvation, that I've not been the Christ example that you'd have me to be. You remember what Jesus said when, on the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus says in Matthew 5, 13 that you are the salt of the earth? He says, but if the salt has lost its flavor, its savior, it's good for nothing, and it's to be thrown out and trampled upon... Could it very well be that, that, that part of the reason that we've gotten ourselves into this place 
within America is because the church has lost its flavor. And you know how salt loses its flavor? It never just goes bad. What happens is when outside, when outside things begin to contaminate salt. And so we lose our saltiness. And so it might very well be that we need to we need to, to begin to purge our own lives so we can be the salt that Christ has called us to be. It starts within the house of God. Hmm. Well, that makes it pretty personal. See, we also need to examine our heart and our attitude. When he says, do all things without murmurings and grumblings, I guarantee you within the, around Christian tables and telephones, there's been a lot of grumbling and murmuring going on in the last few days. Complaining. All about them people. To do all things without grumbling and murmuring. You see, it's just very easy to let our attitudes get bad during times like this. And we need to stop, and we need to examine our own heart, and we need to examine, because this is, this is one of, my, this is one of my, my great, as I thought about this, this is one of my, my, my great burdens, that it's in times like this, it's very easy for, for Christians to lose control of their attitudes and, and what they really believe, that God is in control, that God's word is still true, that Jesus is coming again, and therefore it's, a, it's very easy for us to allow fear to just soak into our life. Oh, you know, what's going on? What about my children? Folks, God is still in control. Paul told Timothy, Timothy was a, was a great man of God, but apparently he, he dealt with timidity and he dealt with some fear within his life. And God spoke to young Timothy. He says, Timothy, 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 God has not given us a spirit of fear. Fear can be a spirit. But he's given us a spirit of, of power and a love and a sound mind that we need to keep it together. And we don't need fear to, 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 to ramp up in us. The adversary would, would, nothing, uh, would love nothing more is to get us all in a panic, panic attack out there. And so we would just can't do anything. God's not giving you that spirit of fear. And you have to protect yourself. You know what else you got to protect yourself is yes, anger. It would be very easy to be angry at those five justices. Let's be honest with you. Probably put a little anger when you when you saw the White House lit up in different colors, didn't it? You better watch that spirit within you. Because that anger will do nothing more than destroy you. It's just very easy then to, 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 to be angry, and that anger turned to unrighteous anger about a certain group of people or certain leaders. And then you begin to, to play a us against them game. Folks, God sees two types of people lost people and saved people. Matter of fact, Wanda and me had a, um, a very interesting thing. We traveled to see our, our children. We were going to go down to St. Petersburg and watch a ball game. We, 
we stopped on the way in, in Norman Beach and just stayed overnight, and, and I'd, we'd, we'd kind of sit out by the beach, and as soon as we sat there and, and just going to look, boy, here comes Trin. I'll say Trin because she said, hey, use me in church. I mean, she didn't care. She, Trin, um, you know, had her, had her bush in her, um, you know, sleeve there and, um, you know, drinking it, and, and she, boy, she was the talkiest person I ever heard in my life, and Trin walked out there, and she says, I'm just a redneck woman from Georgia. What's your name? <laughs> And so for, probably for the next two hours and 30 minutes, we heard everything about Trent. And then here come Tommy, and, and Tommy was, you know, was, was with her. I remember Tommy's name, my brother named Tommy, and he was just an old um, chicken farmer from, from up, in, up in Georgia. And, um, and, you know, Tommy didn't have his can with him, but you can tell they were close by. And you know what, Tommy and me, we just had a great conversation. We just talked about things, and I'd, I'd, I'd done do a little work at my house, and I don't get this often, but I did hit my, uh, my, my, um, my thumb with a um, hammer, and it kind of bled up under my head. Tommy, Tommy looked at my, you know, he looked at my hand and said, man, what, I see your hand right there. What, what you do for a living? You know, he's saying I was a carpenter. I said, well, Tommy, I'm a pastor. It didn't phase Tommy. And Trin says, well, praise God, my granddaddy was a pastor. And boy, she just. But we said in fellowship, and I asked, you know, how can we pray for you? And we, we prayed for them on Norman Beach. And, and, um, but Wanda Sue heard a, a horrible story about Trin's past because, see, her and Tommy wasn't married. Matter of fact, she's still married to her previous husband, but she's keeping that because so she can get some of the social security. She's got to be married two more years to keep the social security. And as a matter of fact, her, her child was with, 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 with him, and you know, her and Tommy had been living together for a few years. And, and um, you know, she sat and she cried. And, you know, one moment to one Sue, and then just, just a story. But you know what? Trent and Tommy is as much in need of Jesus as the homosexual community is in the need of Jesus. See, it's, it's easy, you know. T- the, I went over and found their truck because I wanted to leave my card on their truck, and there had the rebel flag, you know, and all of that stuff. It was easy to find. And, um, <laughs> see, if, if we don't watch out, folks, it's easy to think one group's sin is not as bad as another group's sin. But they're all in need of Jesus Christ. And I told one, so I said, you know, it's just so easy, you know. We could talk with Trin and, and Tommy because, to be honest, that's kind of our cult. You, know, you could have pulled them right out of Baker County, and you know, and um, I thought that's one of, one of our people. But they're in, the same, they're in need of the same Jesus. Trin said, you know, hey, use me in a sermon. I don't care. So I, I did. We pray for Trin and Tommy. But see, we have to be careful that we don't allow our hearts to get judgmental toward certain groups of people out there. Because it's very easy to do. That's why I love, that's why I love Celebrate Recovery so much because the very thought that folks, we all have hurts, hang-ups, and habits. We all are broken people. We're all in need of Jesus. So you have to be careful. Don't do things with murmuring, complaining, 
We all need Jesus. We also need to let our, shine, our light shine in a darkened world because listen to what he says. He says, you need to watch your attitudes. You need to, to, to walk in obedience. Why? So that you can be blameless and harmless the sons of God without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom you shine as lights in the world. I submit to you this is the greatest time for the church because the light shines brightest in the darkness. When everything goes our way, we don't let the light shine. But it's in the darkened times that the gospel of Jesus Christ can shine its brightest. And that's what the Apostle Paul was saying, that we need to let our light shine. You know, first of all, what we need to do is, is we need to be countercultural now, and we need to show the world what a real traditional marriage looks like. That it's a, it's a picture of Christ in his church that when people see men and women who love each other that are submitted to one another and live their lives, and people look at that and say, that's what I want in my life. Because they see something more because a true Christian marriage is not about two people, it's about three people. It's about the husband and wife and Jesus Christ who cemented that. And, and Jesus says, when you see that traditional marriage, you see Jesus Christ. And so it might be that this time that we stop and really look at our own marriages and work on those so that we can show the world this is what real marriage looks like. And we need to, to, to share our light in, in the dark world that, that we need to get our saltiness back and we need to live our light. I, I remember a, a couple of years ago that, that we thought some lights were out in here and and um, things were getting a little bit dark in here, and we got up. And, and what we, one thing that we found out, that it's not some of the lights that were out, but the shades had gotten so dirty. It was amazing. Once they got, I mean, just, I remember Bobby's there, man, he, it, was just, it was just black stuff. And, you know, it was hard for the light to shine through. Hmm. Could it be that our light's not shining very bright because our shades are dirty? Maybe we need to start cleaning ourselves up so Christ's light can shine through us. See, there's a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a loss and there's a dark world out there that's depending upon you and me because we are Christ's plan of taking his gospel to a lost and a dark world. As a matter of fact, it was Jesus who said these words. He says, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on the hill cannot be hidden nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket on a lampstand that gives light to all that are in the home, to the house. Let your light so shine before men that they see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Folks, we don't need to run and cloister ourselves under a lampshade. We need to get out into a dark world and let a dark world know that Jesus loves you. Every person that we rub shoulder against, whether you be your trends and your Tommies. Your homosexual couple. Your person that's a substance abuse addict. A person that's walking into adultery. A person who's shaking their fist at God. There's one thing that you can know for sure that God has put eternity within their heart. And it's only through the gospel of Jesus Christ can they find joy. 
They may say they don't believe in God, but they do. Because God has put something in their heart that only He can feel. And even though the culture might give people more freedom that says it's okay within our culture, God has not given that because His Word never changes. And so therefore, there needs to be a group of people that shines the light in the darkness. And I don't have to go out and judge someone. I don't have to tell someone what they're doing wrong. The Holy Spirit can do a lot better job at that than me. You know what Christ has told me to do is love on people. How many times have we said how God breaks his word down, love God and just love people? It doesn't mean that I need to bend and, 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 and I need to you know, give permission or I don't need to get involved. But folks, I can still just love people where they are. I mean, right there on Ormond Beach with Trent and Tommy, man, we, we, we prayed with them. And said, so, you know what? We love you. You know, Tommy said, oh, I shouldn't have said that. It's okay, Tommy. I'm not Tommy's judge. I'm not Trent's judge. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. And maybe just, they just need someone to love on. So I can tell them about the same Jesus who loved me. And so, folks, that is what I challenge us to do. Let's be lights in a dark world. And in closing, and yes, what, is, what does Solomon say, or what does God speak to Solomon? If my people would humble themselves, hey, admit that, hey, I've brought something to the table, admit that my dependence is not on the government, it's not on a few men, my dependence is on God and God alone, and pray. And that's what we, the folks, the decisions by Supreme Court is not weakened prayer one bit. And it may be that this is a time that God calls his people to get on their faces and begin to humble themselves, pray for ourselves, that, 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 that we can have a brighter light, pray for our country, pray for those who are hurting out there, pray for our leaders, pray for the church. So as I close at this moment, I challenge you. I challenge you, first of all, with the word of hope that God is in control. His word's not changed. But I also challenge you today to examine yourselves. God, what do I bring to the table? And then I challenge you also, I challenge you also to let your light shine. So as I close out, I make this appeal I ask if our companies would come on up. I make this appeal. First of all, I'm, I'm, I'm calling for Christians. It may be right now that, that, that this altar needs to be filled up with people coming and praying and starting with yourself. Or maybe you just want to come and praise God that, God, you're still on the throne and, and worship God and praise him and then begin to, to allow him to do a work in your life. And God, that I can be a better light in your community. God, help me. There are some of you today that you need to begin to pray, God, help me to love other people like you love them. Because there are some people, I guarantee you, that you've allowed bitterness to get into your heart over this whole situation. And you need to guard your heart against those emotions of fear and anger and, and bitterness. 
and judgmentalism. As a matter of fact, we read early, judge not, lest you, you not be judged. Folks, we don't need to be judging others. We need to judge ourselves. And we need to just get on our face and God. The Bible says God has made everything beautiful in its time. I love that. Man, that is something to get jacked up about, folks. And I invite you to come. Christian, come. But I'm also asking you today, maybe you're here today and you've never, you don't have a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And, and, and you, you've hurt all your life. And there's just something within you that's as many toys and as you, maybe you, you, you've let, you, you've tried to buy yourself stuff and it, you're still empty. Or maybe you, you've tried sex and it's not filled, filled, you know, filled that need. Or maybe you tried substance and that's not filled your need. Maybe it's just that you need Jesus. You've been looking for the wrong thing. I invite you to Jesus today because no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, God loves you and he wants to meet you and he wants to come your Savior. I ask you to come to Jesus today. Would you come to Jesus? Father, I just pray that you'd bless this time and God, even as we continue on this, this time of, of altar call, Holy Spirit, that you'd just move. And God, that you'd bless. Bless this time, Lord, in Christ's name. Amen. Let's all stand.